The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And on earth nations will be in dismay, perplexed by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will die of fright in anticipation of what is coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these signs begin to happen, stand erect and raise your heads because your redemption is at hand. Beware that your hearts do not become drowsy from carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of daily life. And that day catch you by surprise like a trap. For that day will assault everyone who lives on the face of the earth. Be vigilant at all times and pray that you have the strength to escape the tribulations that are imminent and to stand before the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Before we dive into these amazing readings, uh, just just one fun liturgical fact. You know, I always love the liturgy, and I try to highlight something. The liturgy that's that this is utterly profound. So you notice the altar. And I'll speak about this in the homily towards the end. But we're doing the as we've done in the years past, the ad orentum posture, and I'll explain the reason behind that. But also part of the more traditional aspect of the liturgy. Is if you notice, there's something covering my chalice. That's called a chap. That's called a veil. And there's the reason why there's a veil, and it's directly related to the holy of holies in the holy temple of Jerusalem. In the holy of holies was the most sacred part of the Jewish life, because remember, the holy of holies was God's dwelling place on earth. In the holy of holies, there was a veil that separated the holy of holies, the most precious objects of the, of the Jewish religion from everybody else. A veil which covered the mystery and dignity and the profound mystery of God. There's always a veil. We don't see things clearly. And so that which is the most profound, the most precious, is always veiled. What is the most precious thing we do as Catholics? Celebrate the Mass. That's why it's veiled. Why are women veiled, by the way? If you notice in, in the Western culture, women's part of the wedding dress is, is, is a veil. Why is that? Because women have, con- have profound dignity. You bear within yourselves life. That's why we're about to baptize two children today after Mass. Because you have this profound sharing God's dignity of, of bearing a child of God in your womb. And so femininity is always veiled. That is why in, in the past, before, uh, uh, if you remember, old timers will know, Every woman wore a veil at Mass, and many of you are wearing veils now. Why? Because you are covering the dignity, in a sense, of that mystery of your profound dignity you have as a woman. And so that's why women are always tend to be veiled in, in traditional liturgy. 
And you can always, by the way, judge a culture by how it treats its women. You want to know how good a culture is? Look how they treat women. And so this is why women are always veiled when in, in, a, in a wedding ceremony because of the profound mystery and dignity. And why at Mass many of you are wearing veils? Because it's hearkening back to the Holy of Holies and to how God and His majesty and why He exists. I mean, why, why God has given us the Holy of Holies at the Mass? Because it is God's presence in that. So the beauty of women and the veil you wear. And that's why the chalice is veiled. Beautiful, isn't it, huh? You women are amazing, by the way. I'm not just saying that so you can bake me cookies or something. <laughs> but let's dive into these readings, huh? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So a conclusion to the story I mentioned last Sunday, just to kind of recap if you, weren't, uh, if you didn't hear the story. So as you know, uh, the, the parish has an emergency line. If there was ever an emergency, you can get a hold of the priest. I mean, myself, the phone is always near my head when I sleep. So whenever somebody gets sick or is dying and, and you need the sacraments, there's an emergency line. And so you have 24-hour access to the priest. But there's also a downside to that as well. The most random people call the phone. <laughs> the most random. Sometimes I get prank calls as well. Or I get, uh, if you may recall, last weekend what happened was that I get a frantic call. A gentleman said, Father, Father, is this a priest? I said, yeah, this is a priest. He said, I got a demon chasing me. I got a demon after me. And he's frantic. I said, oh, gosh, what's going on? And so, so you always try to discern these situations because you know, there's, there's a lot of mental illness out in the world. And so you never know what's, what's true and what's not, what's legitimate. And so I always, there's a series of tests that I always use. And so I'm hearing him out and I say, meet me tomorrow morning at the parish office at 10. And that usually weeds out about half of the people they'll, if they're just playing around, they won't show up the next morning. But sure enough, there he was, 10 a.m. in the morning, there he was at my office. And the whole time I try to read his body language, because you always tell people when people lie, again, we're not good liars as people, by the way. We always show up by, through our body language. Ask any cop in here. You read the body language of somebody, you can tell what their, what their intentions are. But sure enough, by his body language, I can tell something was distressing this, this young man. And I told him, I said, I'm happy to pray over you. In fact, I have this little black book, which says the title of it is For the Suspicion of Demonic Activity. <laughs> There's a special prayer that we have as priests. I can use on you. And I gave him a rosary, blessed medals, gave him holy water. And I told him, I said, I'm happy to pray with you. But the greatest thing you can do is go to confession. And then his body language fell. Oh, dang it. You make me go to confession. Just give me a quick fix, because you know that's that's hard to go to confession. And I thought that he would go away and we'll never see him again. Last Friday, he shows up in my parish office, excited and elated. He says, "Father, something amazing has happened." I said, "Why?" Well, I said, "I don't know what you did, but that prayer." He says, I've, I feel, I've never felt better in my entire life. He's got, he got so excited. He, and his tears started welling up in his eyes. And we were, you know, where the parish office is in Portola. It's right across the street from the church. And he starts pointing at the church. And he pauses and he starts, he starts as he's pointing at the church. And he says, 
All of this is real, isn't it? And he started to, to weep. All of this is real, isn't it? And this kind of laugh and smirked at him. I said, yes, all of this is real. Whatever you need from me, Father, I'll, I'll clean up the church, I'll pick up trash at the church, whatever you need from me, I'll volunteer, whatever you need, I'll do anything for you. I even want to become a priest now, he said. <laughs> so slow down, first start going back to church, <laughs> go to confession, right? Step by step, change your life. All of this is real. There's, more, there's not a perfect sentiment that captures Advent than that statement. During the entire season of Advent, we are getting ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. We see this powerfully in the first reading today from the prophet Jeremiah. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and Judah. He's speaking about this great anticipation that the Jewish people had at that time. This was written centuries before the coming of Jesus. That God would send the Savior into the world. And so they're waiting, they're waiting, and they're waiting for this Savior, for this Messiah, this Meshayach, would appear. And then what happens? 2,000 years ago, when Jesus now enters into the world, which we'll celebrate in Christmas. Christ enters into the world and the long-promised Messiah arrives. This movement, this entering of Jesus Christ into world history changed everything. So much so that we now measure time by this event. We begin year zero at the birth of Jesus Christ. And we even in our old language, what did we say? Every, every, everything that happened before the year zero, what did we used to call that? B.C., before Christ. And then after the year zero, after the birth of Jesus, we used to call it A.D., Anno Domini, the year of the Lord. Now we try to change it to B.C.E., before Common Era, and then now to Common Era. But whatever words you're using, what is that pivotal event which separates Common Era from before Common Era? The entering of Jesus Christ into history. Everything has been now geared towards this pinnacle event where Christ now enters in. Which is utterly profound because ask yourself this question. What is the purpose of life? How, how would you answer that question? If, I, if we were hanging out by a bonfire with a couple of beers, we're just shooting the breeze and somebody, you know, after a couple of drinks, people get philosophical. <laughs> ask yourself the question. What is the purpose of life? The big questions of life. Again, the, the big one. What is the atheistic answer to that question? The purpose of life, and I think, I dare say that vast majority of people hold today in Western civilization. What is the purpose of existence? There is none. We are the results of an accident. The universe is 13.8 billion years old. And you and I are simply, we're taught, for, especially when we go to public school, we're just taught that we're just the result of certain chemical reactions over time. And then now, 13.8 billion years later, we just kind of pop into existence. 
and there's no real purpose of anything. There's no purpose of, of, of life. We're just an, an accident. We're just the result of chemical reactions again. And so there's no deeper meaning of anything. You just exist. Ah, but the Christian says no. There is actually a deeper purpose now to existence. In fact, all of history is moving towards the coming of Jesus Christ. And then now as we enter into this world, now here we have the second reading. St. Paul writing to the church in Thessalonia. This reading, this, which we just heard for the second part of the scripture today, is Paul's, probably the scholars believe, is Paul's first letter that he wrote. It was written around the year 60, in the 60s. And so he's writing to the church there. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Brothers and sisters, I earnestly ask you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you have received from us, conduct yourselves to please God. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. See, what Paul is speaking about, he's speaking to the new Christians here. And he's extolling them in what's now what we call the, the present coming of Jesus. You see, our Lord invites us to let him into our lives. When we baptize those two kids after Mass today, in a very profound way, when the parents and the godparents, as we pour the water over their heads, they will be incorporated to the body of Christ. And then their parents and godparents will promise to make Jesus Christ known to them by their example of their lives. Because here is the hard thing about, about being a Christian. And there's a beautiful image in the book of Revelation about it. Jesus Christ says, I stand at the door and knock. Meaning, I'm at the door of your heart. Again, remember, whenever I say heart, I mean the biblical sense, not mere emotions. I'm talking about the deepest core of the human being. The deepest part of us, where we make a decision for God or against God. And Christ is saying, I am standing at the door of your life, of your heart, and I want you to let me in. And that's when we do that, it's reflective. When we make the decision for Jesus now, it's reflective in how I conduct myself in my life. Paul is saying, live like this. I've instructed you with the commands of God himself that is pleasing to God and to live for him. Christ enters in the world 2,000 years ago. Now you and I are called to allow him in to welcome him as he comes into our life. And remember, God will never barge in. He's a gentleman. And there's only one doorknob, and it's on our side. And then finally, Christ is pointing in the gospel today to the final coming you see, right now, the big question is, who is Jesus Christ? Right. First come, he came as a little baby in Bethlehem. Now he comes in the spirit, which will happen to those little babies in a few moments. God, he lives in us who are baptized. And then at his final coming, which we do not know the hour nor the day, he says this. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the earth, the nations will be in dismay. 
people will die of fright and anticipation of what is coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. When Christ finally comes again, there will be no doubt who he is. He will come, he will manifest his glory and his majesty. He will reveal his divinity. And there will be no discussion about who the reality of Christ is or not. It will be utterly obvious. He's speaking about, as we say in the scripture, a new heavens and a new earth. We should lead to another question of the gospel today. What separates, by the way, what do, you, what do you think? What separates those who are standing erect, confident when Christ comes again, versus those who, as it says, will die of fright? What separates the group that is dying of fright at this sight of Christ coming again? And what separates the other group from those who are standing confident? The confident group are those who are striving to live the Christian life. As hard as it is to live an upright moral life, to come to Mass on Sunday, to live the upright moral life in accordance with, with Christ's commandments. That's the first group. That's the person who's been praying. That's the person who's been striving to love God. And the second group has fallen into what our Lord says here as he warns has fallen into carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of daily life. See, this group, they couldn't care less about God. They don't think about him on Sundays. They don't think about him on day-to-day life. And all of a sudden, they're kind of going throughout their lives, and all of a sudden, the Lord says, it will catch them like a trap. And this is where the beauty of the Adorantum posture which we're about to experience again this year. This posture, by the way, of the Mass is the most ancient form of the, of, of the Mass. If you went to Mass in the first century or the second century, the priest would have been facing the same direction as the people, facing as we call towards the East. This posture is a visual representation that we are looking forward to the coming of this Christ now at the end of the time. By our very posture, we are looking towards this event when Christ will come again. And so he's looking forward, saying, do not be caught like a trap. And all of us are waiting for this moment. We'll be physically represented by my standing there in the adorantum posture. That word adorantum simply means a Latin towards the east. That's where we get the word orient from, the eastern part of the world. So we're looking for the east. Why east? Because that's the direction that scripture tells us God will come. When Christ entered into Jerusalem on that good, on on Holy Thursday, guess what direction he entered Jerusalem from? The east, from the Mount of Olives. He came, there's a bridge there which covers the, the valley, the Kidron Valley. And you walk over the valley, you come from the direction of the east. And Christ says, when I come back again, I will come from the direction as tradition says, from the east. And so all of our ancient churches now are facing, especially our, when you look at the old ones, they're all facing the east. Our very architecture tells us, look in anticipation of Christ's coming. Do not get distracted from drunkenness, daily life, and carousing. Because as my friend said, as he was 
gesturing towards the church in Portola. All of this is real, isn't it? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.